Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you don't, the scripture is printed up here on the screen. It's also in your bulletin on page 6. There's a place to take notes on page 7. We're going to be reading Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. Two parables of Jesus. As we go deeper in understanding justification this month. So friends, listen. This is God's word. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is God's word. So we're in a series called The God Who Sees. And the God who sees us is good news. It's good news because God sees us right where we are, just as we are. And he draws near to us with his love and his grace. And we've seen this love clearly this month as we looked at the doctrine of justification. There's times when it's really important for us to study the doctrines of the Bible because these doctrines, they tell us stories. They're like shorthand. They're like the title. You know, think about your favorite movie or your favorite book. When you just hear the title, there's things about the story that stir your heart, right? The title itself reminds you of what's in the movie, what's in the book. And so things like, words like justification, they're designed to remind you of the story that God has accepted you. He has forgiven you and accepted you as though you were as perfect as Jesus. That's God's grace. That's a gift from God. And that's what justification communicates. It's that Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die. And because of that, God accepts us. As we trust Jesus, God accepts us. He welcomes us into his family. Our relationship with him is secure. And God sees the best in us. This is what justification means. Now, in this passage today, Jesus gives us these two parables that sort of teach us the value of justification. They help us understand just how valuable this doctrine of justification is. And these parables go together because they're really about the same thing. They're about how people respond when they find the kingdom of heaven. Okay? In their lives, when people find the kingdom of heaven, this is how they respond. And so we're going to see really three things today about the kingdom of heaven. We're going to see what is it, how do we see it, and then how do we respond to it. Okay? So what is it, how do we see it, and how do we respond to it? So first, the kingdom of heaven. What is it? But Jesus says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 45, he says again, the kingdom of heaven. You know, what is this? This is a phrase, the kingdom of heaven, that's used 31 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, so in 28 chapters, that's over once a chapter. The phrase kingdom of God is also used over five times. And so in some ways, the whole purpose of Matthew's Gospel, one of the themes that runs through it from beginning to end, is the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven. And I think the best way for us today to think about what a kingdom is, is to think of it as a culture. Think about like a culture or a way of life. 
kingdom of heaven is a culture, it's a way of life. Um, it's a culture with a vibe. You know, it has like a look and a feel to it. Um, job offices, like so work offices have a culture, don't they? Um, homes have a culture. You know, there's like a vibe and a feel when you walk into someone's home. Um, sometimes it's chaos, right? <laughs> sometimes, some, I remember growing up, um, I spent inordinate amounts of time at my best friend's house because whenever we walked in, his mom was always in the same place and she was eager to like make us food. <laughs> there was a feel, a vibe to his home. And it, told, it basically said security, peace, like generosity. I felt safe there, right? And so our offices have a feel, a culture. Uh, homes can have a culture, either good or bad. Like restaurants, even neighborhoods, right? San Diego, different neighborhoods have different cultures. And, uh, and it's interesting because that culture, that culture, that feel, it's determined by the leaders, the values, and it's shown by the people. Okay, so let me just give that to you. A kingdom is a culture that has a king, it has values, and it has people. Okay? These are the things that determine what a culture is like. And so when we think about it this way, when we think about that a kingdom is just any culture that has attained values of people, I think that we begin to realize that there's all kinds of kingdoms in San Diego today. Lots and lots of kingdoms. I mean, we talked about offices, uh, talked about homes. But even beyond that, I think there's, there's like the kingdom of career. You know? There's a kingdom of career where career is king. And where the things that are most important in this kingdom are success and advancement. And the people in that kingdom tend to make work their God and they sacrifice integrity, they sacrifice family, or they sacrifice relationships to worship their king. You with me? Um, I think there's also the kingdom of relationships, right? Where being in a relationship or being married is king. And the values are security, right? The values are not being alone, not feeling alone. And the people make their relationship their God. And they may sacrifice boundaries, healthy boundaries. Uh, they might sacrifice uh, or they might enable abuse just to stay together. And the problem with these kingdoms, and really, I think any kingdom that isn't the kingdom that Jesus talks about, is that these kingdoms cannot keep you happy. Okay? They can't keep you happy. They can make you happy for a time, but they can't keep you happy. Because no kingdom in the world ever says, you've done enough. You can rest. Whatever effort you have to go through to get success in a kingdom, you have to continue that effort in order to keep that success. And it can be exhausting. It can be draining. It can be hopeless. Because oftentimes, kingdoms in this world can be very unforgiving. Okay? Like, if you screw up once, it's over. It's over. Um, Y'all heard the story of my cracked screen on my phone, right? 
y'all remember that? Well, I have a story about my iPad. <laughs> I've had my iPad for a little over a year, and uh, I've taken such good care of my iPad. I've even kept it out of the hands of my children at times because you know I need this for work, and I need them not to you know mess mess around with it. And, you know, I have a case for it, and, and you know I make sure if it spends any time outside the case, I make sure I put it back in the case as soon as as soon as I'm you know as soon as I can. Um, until last Sunday. <laughs> last Sunday, after the service, I didn't put it back into the case. Instead, I was standing, talking to some folks, and I had a few too many things in my arms, including my iPad. And at one point, my iPad slipped, and it fell. And I was like, ah! And I got my foot under it, so I broke the fall. <laughs> right? I broke the fall, because it lands on your foot. That's actually a very forgiving thing. But then it hit the ground after it hit my foot, and this little tiny crack <laughs> appeared on the edge. And I thought to myself, man, that stinks. Um, and I was kind of bummed, right? Because you think, yeah, like, now I know it's there. But then I thought, you know what, wait, oh, oh, wait, this is why Apple made that black border around the whole thing. It's so it's hidden, right? You can't really see it. Well. Bummer is that by the end of the day, that little cracked spider webbed across the rest of the screen. And it made me think, oh man! Right? It's like, oh, because now every time, I mean, it functions, it works, it works fine. I'm, I'm preaching in front of the Lord, I can see it, there's no problem here. If I say anything wrong, actually, it's because of the crack on the screen. Why not that? But, uh, but my iPad is never, ever going to be the same, right? Every time I look at it, every time I see it. And, and the point of this is that many people who live for other kingdoms have this sense that they're living cracked lives. You know, they're, they're, they're living, but they're failing to be. It's like they've already forfeited the chance that they had to live the life they wanted to live, right? This is what other kingdoms will do to us, okay? This is what happens. Um, what Jesus, though, is saying here is that he came to bring a different kind of kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. Jesus says it's the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Okay? And this is the culture of heaven. Right? It's what heaven is like. It's how heaven feels. Okay, simply put, the kingdom of heaven is having God in your life. Right? Having a relationship with God. It's, it's knowing and following Jesus, where Jesus is the king. Right? Where the values are forgiveness and acceptance loving trust, courage and strength to bring healing and renewal. And the people, the people are those who have experienced this kingdom. The people are those who live in this relationship and have these values. There's a look and a feel to them. Now, justification, right, this truth that we've been looking at this whole month, Justification teaches us that the way to enter into God's kingdom 
is not by earnings. Like, you can't earn your way in. You can't do enough good things, then God says, okay, good, you've done enough, come on in, you're accepted. That's not how you get into the kingdom. You receive it as a gift. You receive it as a gift. I mean, we just saw this in the assurance of pardon. Look at what Jesus says. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, if you're being beat down by a kingdom from this world, come to me, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, because I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so justification teaches us it, 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 it's, it's the doorway into God's kingdom. Because that's how you begin a relationship with God. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. Remember, a few weeks ago, you know, the Exodus comes before the Ten Commandments. Right? God doesn't look and say, okay, you've been obedient, so now I'm going to redeem you from Egypt. God redeems you. Salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift for trusting in Jesus and so, but these two parables, they're not so much about the kingdom of heaven as they are about how people see and respond to the kingdom of heaven. Okay, this isn't quite a description of the kingdom of heaven. And so our second point about the kingdom is just how do we see it? So beyond what is it, how do we see it? And in these parables, Jesus describes two different ways that people see God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. He says some people find it just by chance and others are searching for it. Okay, verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. You see, you have this man who's digging in a field, and presumably he's working in this field, and he's digging, and he finds this treasure. And so the idea here that Jesus is saying is that some people discover the kingdom of heaven when they're just living life. Right? They're just going on their merry way. They're just in the, they're in the mode of life. They're living life. Um, and maybe they have a friend who says something about Jesus that resonates with them. Wow, I've never thought about it like that before. Or maybe you're on Facebook and, and a friend posts an article about Jesus and you decide to click on it and you read it and you think, oh, wow, wow this is interesting. I've never thought about it like this before. But sometimes people just sort of happen upon it. Or you might hear about a church who is actively working to rescue women from sex trafficking, and you think, well, wow, yeah, I would imagine that's exactly the kind of thing God would want to be doing in the world. And your interest is sparked. And so some people just sort of happen upon it in their daily lives. Of other people, they're searching for it already. Verse 45, Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine Pearls. And so some people, some of you, you're looking for God. You're looking for happiness, for spirituality, and as you're looking, you find the message of Jesus. And so the key is that both kinds of people find it, those who aren't looking and those who are. And I think almost always, the way that it gets found, the way that people see it, is by seeing one of the king's people. And this is important. The way that most people find the kingdom or see the kingdom is that they see it in one of God's people. Okay? 
So normally it just works like this. You have a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor who has it. Right? They've got it. They've got contentment. They've got a sense of peace. They've got a sense that they don't need to retaliate when they're wrong. They, they have a sense of perspective. Right? They have a willingness to understand. Their perspective shows that they're, it's almost like they're part of another kingdom. You know, it's like there's something else there. They're, they're moving to a beat of their own drum, right? There's like an invisible music that's playing in their life that you can't hear, but it's, it sort of informs the rhythm of who they are. Now, they're not perfect, right? These aren't perfect people, because if they were, that might not really be very encouraging, because you think, oh, we're just like that. I talked to someone this week who, has a strong desire for Jesus, a really strong desire for Jesus, but the only thing that she sees are people in between her and Jesus that she could never be like. So these people, usually when, when, when you're attracted to Jesus, you see somebody who have, they're not perfect, but they have something that you want. That's normally how it starts. And then second, the next step is that you then hear how your friend, coworker, neighbor got it from Jesus. Right? So makes sense, right? You see it in, the, in someone, and then you find out they got it from Jesus. You see that the peace that they have comes because they have this relationship with God. Uh, I still remember um, when one of my, I was talking with one of my neighbors, and we, he, he's, he's Jewish, and, uh, and he was talking a little bit about his Judaism, and, uh, and I just said, well, you know, it's super interesting for me because religion is not so much, like, uh, like I, I'm not really into religion so much as I'm into Jesus and, and a relationship with God, and I just think it's amazing that we can know God. And he was like, oh, what did you say? I said, what? Did you say that you know God? I said, yeah. And he was just, he didn't know what to do with that. Like the idea that someone would claim, like to him it just seemed kind of audacious, like you know God. And I said, well, yeah, it would be crazy for me to say that if I were to tell you, yeah, in the way that I found out who he was was I climbed up into heaven and figured it out. I mean, the only reason I could know God is because God has actually come and revealed himself to us. And so again, people need to know how. Like, what is it about you? What is it about? Like, where does your peace come from? Where does your perspective come from? And they find out that it comes from Jesus. And I think one of the ways to just describe the it is that it's hope. What it is, is hope. And Chad reminded us of it this morning as we started worship. That worship is about hope. It's about hope. We have hope. You have this confidence that God is in your life. That he is with you. And even better than that, he is for you. How many people do you know who need to understand that God can be for them? Right? They think God is against them. They think God is out to get them. But you have hope when you know that God is for you. And this is the hope that Jesus gives to all who are part of his kingdom. All who are part of his kingdom. And so this leads us then uh, to our third point. 
not just the kingdom of heaven, what is it, how do we see it, but then how do we respond to it? How do we respond to it? Um, these two folks in the parable, their response is the same. They sell everything that they have to get in on the kingdom. Right, verse 45. Then in his, or verse 44, uh, so the man finds a treasure in the field, he covers it up, and in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. In my heart, the, the phrase, in his joy, is circled and underlined and folded. Can you just imagine what it's like if you're working as a day laborer in the field and your job is to dig a ditch? You know, and, and you're digging, and you're digging, and you come across this treasure. You come across more money than you even know what to do with, right? Money for your, like for the rest of your life. And you know, I mean, so Jesus doesn't give us all the details, but presumably, let's just assume that because Jesus is telling the story, there's integrity here. So this treasure doesn't belong to, well, we know it doesn't belong to the owner because the owner wouldn't sell it. He wouldn't sell the field if he knew the treasure was there, right? So, um, so this person, literally in their joy, they're like, oh my goodness, like I just won the lottery. I just won the lottery. And in their joy, in his joy, he goes, and he gives up anything for it. He gives up everything that he has. He hawks himself to nothing. Right? He doesn't care because he knows what he's going to get. Because the field is worth more than all of his stuff. Are you with me? I mean, the merchant. I mean, this is kind of interesting. The merchant, right, who, verse 46, he's searching for pearls, and then who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had. To me, what's super interesting about the second parable is that, again, like I don't want to read too much into it because it's a parable, but you have a merchant who's in search of fine pearls, right? And when he finds one, so now he sells everything so he can have the pearl. It seems to me that the way the story is told is that he's done searching. Searching. And what I kind of like about this is that it's not so much that he is now rich, but he has this pearl of great price. Right? And so it's not that he needs the wealth, but what he needs is like this thing of utter value. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like he said he's going to buy this and then sell it so he can have all this money. Right? He wants the you know, and so when I think about the kingdom of heaven, I can literally start listing the blessings that Jesus gives that come with his kingdom. And we'd be here all day and all night, and we'd be in here tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and books. I mean, literally, like, we'd be here for hours and hours and days and days. This is what we do, right, every Sunday we gather. I give you a little bit more of the blessings. I tell you about the blessings of the kingdom. Right? Just this month, we're looking at justification. And you think about all the blessings that come with justification, that you're forgiven, that you're accepted, 
that Jesus' perfection is given to you so that you're not just forgiven and accepted, but you're secure. You're secure. This idea that you can look at your imperfections and know that God sees you and loves the good that's in you and delights in it. Right? And there's all these blessings. I mean, justification is just the scratching of the sun. We're just getting started this month. We're just starting to understand the fullness of the good news, the fullness of the riches of the treasures of the kingdom. But, but, like what's even greater than all of those blessings is the fact that you have God in your life. Jesus is divorce the blessings from the person, the forgiveness comes from a forgiver. The assurance comes from someone who wants you to know without a shadow of a doubt, without any doubt in your mind, that he accepts you. Right? I used to love theology. I mean, this is just kind of like partly my wiring, partly my passion. Like, I just wanted to understand everything the Bible had to say. And I was like, I dream one day of understanding every book of the Bible and like having like my arms wrapped around the Bible so I could know it from beginning to end, every book, every chapter. I want to outline them all. Like, I want to know it all. I want to understand theology. I want to understand the doctrine of God, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the sacraments, the doctrine of I mean, like all this stuff, right? And there are books and thousands and thousands. And like, I want to understand it all. And something happens to me. About two and a half years ago, I was in a prayer group. We were learning how to listen to God. Um, and I was taught, I was taught how to see God's face. And what I realized, like what I learned was that every truth from the Bible, like everything that the Bible says, is a revelation of a person. It, it tells us what God is like. It tells us who he is. It tells us how he thinks, how he feels, how he interacts with people. Right? And everything changed for me. Everything changed for me in another way. Like, you know, I, mean, I was a Christian all that time. I've been a Christian for 18 years. And, but I mean, and it, but it was just like something else well, now I realize that, oh, there's a God behind every truth. There's a God behind every gift as a giver. To say that right. And so it's not just the wealth of the treasure, but it's having the pearl. Like Jesus is that pearl. When you see it, you will do anything to get it. We won't you? Won't you? You would give anything to get it. And that was hard for me. I remember when I first started following Jesus, like, there were a couple things that I didn't want to give up. I still remember asking the question, so, will God forgive me if I'm planning on doing this again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, well, will God forgive me if I know I'm probably going to do this again? Right? And, um, but as you realize, like knowing God, being part of his kingdom, like in some ways it's not about what you get, although there's so much that you do get. It's about who you know. 
maybe better at 10 than three. Right? Who then becomes four here? These are things that change us. Friends, this changes everything about our perspective. This changes everything about who we are. Is there anything in your life that you think is worth more to you than Jesus? Something that you have could be a physical thing, could be a relationship, could be a goal or an aspiration, could be a plan, could be a dream. Is there anything that when Jesus says you need to sell all that you have to get me, that you think, worth more to me than knowing and walking with God. I mean, what's amazing is that the free gift of salvation, sometimes like, well, the free gift of salvation comes at a pretty interesting price. Right? In some ways, it's not so free if Jesus is king. Right? God offers salvation, and it's free. You don't have to do anything to get it. But the one who calls is the king. And I know what happens in my own life, in my own heart. I think, well, can I have both? Come on, you know, God's gracious. Right? Can he accept me as imperfect as I am? And... Say the things that Jesus isn't saying, right? And Jesus says that when we see the value of this, we'll give up everything. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so, without answering the question, can you have both, I would say my guess is that if you're still wondering, it's because you don't know how much treasure is in that. talk about some of the things that, um, that this kingdom gives. And again, this is framed around hope. Right? This is the hope of the kingdom of heaven. And you've seen these things, right? We have these six ways that we define the hope 
that we want our church to be able to deliver, right? And so let's just walk through, not all six of them, but just four of them. Um, the hope of Jesus, the hope that comes in the kingdom is deep, personal affirmation, okay? Because you know that God accepts you, then this means that you are free to be honest. And so what you get from God is both confrontation and affirmation, okay? Because you know you're forgiven, it's safe for God to confront you with the areas where you need to grow. Right? And so God confronts you with the assurance that he loves you. But then he also affirms you. Deep personal affirmation where God looks you in the eye and says, you are my son. You are my daughter. And in you I am delighted. This is part of what would cause, what has caused me to give up everything. This is part of the riches. Second, relationship where you're strong enough to serve. Right? And so, um, in this, so I'm sorry, for, with the first one, um, what this enables you to do, if you want this, Jesus says, I want you to sell to me your need to be perfect. Think about it that way. Right? You want to sell everything you have. How about your need to be perfect? You can sell that to receive the kingdom of heaven. Okay? But then second, relationships where you're strong enough to serve. And because God has met your needs, God has so deeply affirmed you, you are securing him, right? That you don't enter into relationships to suck from them. Right? Because your deepest needs are met by God. So you can enter into relationships to serve. And so, if you want this, you can sell to Jesus your defensiveness. You don't have to be right anymore. You can sell that to him. You don't need to hold on to that. You can sell that to buy this hope. Right? You don't need to win arguments. You don't need to. Um, you don't need. You can sell your codependency right, and receive this hope. Fourth, you have a life-changing hope to share, and this is what's amazing. I guess ever since we've been doing this series on justification, it's amazing the opportunities that God has brought into my path to be able to talk to people about the free, extravagant grace of God. Where people struggle. People are striving. Friends who are striving for love. They desperately need a relationship for them to feel whole. And they get a relationship. And as soon as it stops making them feel happy, they get rid of it. Because the feelings run away. You're living in a kingdom that will never, ever make you happy. It can't last. Right? I've got hope I can share with you. My relationship with my wife was up and down and up and down. It's not perfect. It's not all this trajectory. It's straight, you know? And yet there's a hope that I have from Jesus. And so you can exchange, uh, and you can have this life-changing hope that you can share. And the last one, at work isn't your ultimate kingdom, right? This hope affects your work. 
right? So you can sell your need for work to prove that you matter. Okay? Whether you work in an office or you work in a home, your work, you can sell the need that you have, but your work has to prove you matter. Okay? Because God has accepted you. You can sell that. You don't need to hang on to that. God sends you to work to serve, to provide for your need, the need that don't you love. And then to love your company, your customers, your co-workers. This is the hope of Jesus. And when I think all of this comes full circle, is that I said at the beginning that a kingdom, its culture, its feel, its vibe, it's established by its leaders. Same thing's true with the kingdom of heaven. It's important for us to realize that Jesus isn't just describing our response to the kingdom of heaven. He's also describing his own response to the kingdom of heaven. In some ways, Jesus is the man seeking after fine pearls. And the way the rest of Matthew goes, the way the rest of the story is told, is that Jesus sees you and says, I'm going to give up everything so that I can buy you. In his death, he pays the price for our sins. He was the propitiation, remember? So that God would redeem us. Right? The price that's paid to set us free. Jesus gives it all up willingly. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It means that Jesus had this phrase, In his joy, Jesus goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. This is why you give up everything. It's because this is who is called. This is who God is. This is who's inviting you in a relationship with him. Are you ready? For you Christians, I mean, this, you've already committed to Jesus, you just want to ask yourself, is there anything else I'm holding on to that I need to give up? Give it to him. Confess it to him. Commit it to him. And see how much more precious he becomes. And then for those of you who are Christians, this is Jesus inviting. He says, do you want to know what it's like to walk with me? It's like a man who's digging in a field. And he finds this treasure. He just can't believe it. He can't believe that God could love like this. And he gives up everything and says, I'm going to follow you. Are you ready to do that? Let's pray. And now look to me and receive God's benediction. The Lord has sought you, found you, bought you. He has loved you. You have the
pearl of great price. You have a treasure of inestimable value. Go and celebrate this week. Celebrate and share that treasure with others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.